Welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you've joined me and Joe. That's it. It's all we got tonight. Everyone else said it was uh, busy. These young adults, man, they're so busy. You and I have no social lives. Right. So we can come and record some Restless. Right. That's all right, though. That's all right, because we're going to have a great conversation, and we're glad you tuned in, because our conversation topic uh, for this one is conversion stories, because I love a good conversion story. I think it's really powerful to hear about people who came from darkness into light, and, and I know you've got a great conversion story, which we've seen, heard bits and pieces of, but I'd love to hear like the whole, whole shebang, for soup to nuts, as they say. And, um, and I think really everybody has to go through some sort of conversion experience, whether it's, you know, whether it's dramatic like St. Augustine or St. Paul, or whether it's just, you know, you're born a Catholic, but you, you choose it. Right. And there's a moment of choosing or a time of choosing. Mine necessarily wasn't like an instant, but kind of a process, you know. And, and uh, I, think this, I think it's necessary because very few people really are like born saints. Yeah. And even if you are sort of like a saintly soul or you're sort of predisposed dispositionally to take the faith seriously. I mean, yeah, right. There's a point at which you say this is real and it matters to me. Yeah. Right. And your relationship becomes with God becomes more serious than 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 it was prior. So, I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> There's a a quote from um, uh, Saint Jose Maria Escrivá, which I mentioned in a former episode, which was uh, conversion is the matter of a moment, sanctification is the matter of a lifetime. Hmm. So, kind of what would you what would you say is the difference then between conversion and sanctification? Because a lot of good Catholics would talk about their conversion moment, which is really kind of is it just kind of like a deepening of sanctification? Yeah. Well, I think the word conversion comes from like. To turn around or turn back. Yeah, metanoia, right? Greek, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to convert is to change course, ultimately toward the good. And, I mean, I think we, we, we think of conversion as, like, a point in time. But in reality, it's an ongoing process. I mean, like, we constantly need to be converted on questions of the faith. or uh, So, like, for example, if you are a Catholic who struggles with one area of the faith or another, I mean, you need to call, you need to come to conversion on that question. Mm. Um, whereas sanctification, I think, is sort of like a... Well, it's a heightening of the good, right? It's a, it's a growing, growing closer to perfection. So they can be, they're connected, obviously, but they are different things, right? It's the difference between um, like correcting a wrong and improving a good, maybe, would be a good way mm. to think about it. Right? I like that. I like that. <laughs> I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville, and the Franciscans have a great spirituality, uh, one piece of which is constant conversion. Mm. So they're always kind of talking about like, and I like that image you give of like the course correction. Yeah. Because... You're, you know, so you're, if you're on a course, you make progress towards your goal, and sometimes you veer off course, and you're going away from the goal, so you just have to recorrect, even if you're kind of in the general, same general vicinity, but you're not, right. not really heading there. Right. I, I tend to think of both of them as things that it's worth praying for everybody to grow in sanctity and to come to conversion, because no matter who we are, we're always in need of conversion to some extent, and we're always in need of sanctification. So even if I have a friend who I don't really know what the status of their soul is or the relationship with Christ or where they are in the spiritual journey, I can always pray for their conversion because there's always something to convert on, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's so, so I don't have to be like, well, you know, they don't really know. They, they, we all need conversion. I certainly need conversion on all sorts of things in my life, right? Like I'm not perfect and because I'm not perfect, I need both sanctification and conversion, right? So here's a question for you because it's something I've often thought about and wondered. Having, you know, two siblings that are no longer practicing the faith, <clears throat> When I, I do pray for their conversion frequently, yeah. but I wonder if that's a little bit like spiritually prideful. Oh, because it's like help them be as perfect as me type thing. It's yeah, it's almost like I'm converted, they're not, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I I tend to like pray in patterns if that makes sense, because it's hard to like be creative sometimes for me in my prayer. And so for a while the way I would I would pray this question would be like, um, Lord, bring my family to conversion that we may all grow closer to you. Mm. Right. Because like Yeah, right. I'm not I, I'm not the goal. 
Like they shouldn't be converted to become more like me. They should be converted to be more like Christ, right? Like I'm not the I'm not the one the image into which they need to be converted, right? So and yet Saint Paul says, "Be imitators of me as I am of Christ." But I'm not Saint right, Paul, right, right. Right, right, right. <laughs> and you're not Saint Paul. Well, but uh, but imitate me as I'm an Im- as I'm an imitator of Christ, right? So like that's not me. That's me as that's that would be me as Christ or me as image of Christ. The good so. the good parts of you. Right, 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 right. Yeah, however few there are of them, um, <laughs> I could name like two or three. Yeah. You know? right, right, right. No, I wouldn't have to go past one one hand to count them all. Certainly. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's funny you mentioned about the families because um, and in my you know, and I'll share a little bit more with this, but like you know, my own deepening of faith happened a lot through my family, and we kind of grew together in faith, which is awesome to see. Yours was kind of... The exact opposite. The exact opposite. (laughs) opposite. So, you know, share about your your conversion story. It's funny. I was thinking about this when we decided to talk about this because, um, hope. first of all, if you're the sort of person, Father, who doesn't like being complimented, just buckle in, right? Um, Don't compliment me. No, no, no. But um, because you were such a big part of my conversion story, but I doubt very much that I've ever actually told you the fullness of it in the way that I experienced it, right? So... um, there's a, a, a pundit that I used to be a fan of who used to always joke that he was the one person who cured by psychotherapy. I think I'm the one person um, converted by CCD, right? <laughs> because, because um, you know, I was not like, I was I was never Saul who needed to be knocked off his horse. Like I was never, I was never like the bad kid, right? I was always a pretty compulsive rule follower. Um, and so- That's very true. And I, I, can yeah, I, yeah, can yeah, I share please, an embarrassing sure. story of you? I don't see Embarrassing, that. but praiseworthy. Fine. <laughs> I remember one time when you were in high school, okay. your your mom came to me and it's like, can you please convince Joe to go to all these parties? Oh, she start drinking. I have no problem believing that she did that. <laughs> and I was like, um, no, actually, he's doing the right thing. Yeah, a, a direct quote from my mom one time was, um, Joe, I just wish you would you would um, stop being such a such a darn good ni- such such a darn good kid and screw up every once in a while. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, which, not, which was meant in the most loving way possible, I'm sure. But anyway, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so like I was never like an unruly kid or anything like that, and you know my my I was I mean my parents were both were both born and raised or, you know born and catechized and baptized Catholic and all this stuff you know um, but yeah we weren't a particularly religious family growing up we went to mass with some regularity but not not every Sunday and not even close every Sunday every holiday and you know and and, and you know whatever and then um so you know uh, seventh grade they started actually requiring we go to to, to mass as part of CCD so we did during the year, obviously not in the summer because we weren't extremists or anything like that. And then, um, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't want to go over the top. No, you could go no, crazy with it, right? You take it easy a little bit. Um, uh, and so then, um, so then eighth grade rolls around and, you know, we're excited to be near the end of CCD. And I always took CCD sort of seriously, you know, um, I was always kind of afraid of it because I was afraid of the test at the end of the year. You know, I was always bad at the CCD test. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. I was, but you're a good test taker, aren't you? I am now. I wasn't so good then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> I got assigned to this to this uh, guy's class named Deacon Joseph Gill, um, and when I was in eighth grade. Back when I was a deacon. Back when you were a deacon. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew I knew you when. DJ. D- DJ. I do remember some people used to call you that. Not I, obviously, but some people. Um, yeah. So I was in your class. Um, it was a good class. It wasn't a ton of us. I don't remember. Um, I think you've told me that it was a, that it was you were not planning on teaching this class. That um, this is Mrs. Mary Ferry, who is still the DRE of St. Mary's and does does the Lord's work. Um, asked you at the last minute because she was short catechist. Nothing ever changes. She was still short catechist. Uh, she still asked me to do things like that. Um, and so there were two moments in that class, which I point to in my mind. I'm going to give them in the order that they happened, but I've realized that this is not the order of importance, and I'll explain what I mean by that. But so I remember you were talking about Thomas Aquinas's five ways, right? The five ways we can know God exists given to us by St. Thomas, Thomas Aquinas. And you gave us, I think, the argument from, I want to say the argument from motion, 
the argument from causality, maybe, and then mm -hmm. intelligent design. Yeah, those are the three Asia use. And I don't remember which one it was specifically, or maybe it just was all three of them together, but um, hearing it phrased that way, just something clicked in my mind that like, oh yeah, like God actually is real. Not mm. that I ever necessarily doubt, like if you'd ever like said to me at some point in my life, do you believe God exists? I would have always said yes. But it clicked with me, not just that he was real, like in the abstract, but rather he was, he was real in a real way. Like it mattered to my life, right? That I had implications. And, and it was also just fascinating that I could think about it that way. Cause I always kind of liked ideas and I like sort of arguing and debating things with people. And so the idea to take. Which is why you're a lawyer now. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. Listen, para paralegal, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I can still, Close um, the problem with being a lawyer is that it would, it would be hard to comb my hair without being able to see my own reflection, you know? So, um, <laughs> but wow, um, just kidding to any of our lawyer listeners. Um, Anyway, so yes, yeah, so, so that that was a moment, and for a while, I put a lot of um, press like importance on that moment in our class, and it was important. But I, I realized that actually the second moment that I'm going to talk about now was much more important in my life, which was you were telling a story, you were talking to us about about why mass attendance is so important. They need to go every week, and you were telling a story about an altar server who emailed you saying, "Hey, you know, I can't, um, I can't altar serve on you know for whatever it was, 11 o'clock mass or whatever this Sunday. You know, I'm going to a football game." And you emailed him back saying, um, all right, you know, no worries, I'll find a replacement, but, you know, please, I hope you do remember you have to, still have to go to Mass at some point, you know. And he didn't, I don't think, since your story ends. But And the story wasn't that important, except that it made me ask out loud, for no reason, um, how do you become an altar server? Which I had never any intention of being an altar server, right? And But for whatever reason, I blurted out the question, how do you become an altar server? I don't know if you remember this or not. I, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not at all. So I blurted out, how do you become an altar server? And... I don't know if you've had a moment like this in your life, but it was one of those moments in my life where it felt like only you and I were in the room, right? Hmm. And your response to me was, why? Do you want to be an altar server? Which the answer was, which is not the answer to my question. And the answer to that question was, of course, no. I had no interest in being an altar server. But something moved me to say yes. So I, so I, so I said yes. And then you said, okay, well, then wait, you know, wait after class, whatever. And then I waited after class. And you said, all right, well, you know, if you want to be an altar server, you know, we'll talk to your parents about it. And, you know, I'll just, I'll train you, whatever. You were in charge of the altar server program at the time, I think. Yeah. So, um, and by the way, as an aside, you must have been having a bad day when you trained me because you were a touch grumpy. Uh, I remember one point you were training me on how to handle like the, the, the bowl with the washing of the hands and the cruets of wine and, and, and water. One point you go, okay, you know, now, you know, the altars bring this over. Of course, you know, usually they're not paying attention. I have to tell them. And I was thinking, huh, <laughs> Deacon Joe is in a bad mood today. <laughs> but anyway, um, things to remember. So I became an altar server. And so um, then I was an altar server and I would altar serve once a week and then twice a week. And, um, you know, I never... Twice a week? I'm sorry. Twice a month. Right, right, right. Once a month, twice a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the mass was never something that mattered to me very much until then. Um, but I've realized now that our Lord was really calling me to himself through the mass. Um, and so being an altar server, that proximity to the Eucharist, and not just that, but like proximity to priests, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, um, you, you, the only time an eighth grader or like a freshman in high school has any, has like 15 minutes to chat with his pastor or with a deacon or whatever is if he's an altar server and he's waiting in the vestry before mass. And, you know, Father Corey, our, our, our pastor at the time, my pastor still is a very, um, Gregorious, Gregorious man. And, you know, is fun before mass. He, he's, he's very, he's very funny. And, um, so I got to know you and him and the other priests and deacons. And then as the year started to wind down, you invited me, you suggested I go to youth group at some point or somebody did, presumably you. And I did. Hadn't been to youth group before, and eventually he suggested that I go on the mission trip to West Virginia. To uh, actually, may have been the I think it must, must have been the year after that because that was only for yeah, that was the year after that. The year after that, so so it was a snowballing a snowballing thing, but it was, it was those two moments that sort of started the domino chain. But really, it was then okay. So now I'm convinced that this stuff matters. I remember caring very much about my confirmation. Like I had something had happened in me by the time I was confirmed. Hmm. Um, 
So like, okay, so now confirmation is ending. And now at the time, there was all these avenues, right? There was being an ultra server. There were uh, retreats, like in the Emmaus retreats in Danbury, which I think it maybe stalled or, or not, maybe not, have not, I don't know. And mission trips and, and youth group. And so there was all these things to do. And so I was, I did all these things, right? And, and you walked with me in so many ways. And so and I made lots of friends through it, right? Um, that was like the beginnings of it, I, I, I would say. Um, I didn't have a particularly like complex spirituality for most of my life. Like, you know, it was mostly just like, I like adoration well enough and Frisbee's fun. And so those two things and pizza all kind of mixed <laughs> together to make youth group fun. Um, yeah. So uh, maybe that's a good, a good like pausing point in my story. I mean, you know, there's, there's more to say, I suppose, but that's, that's really the conversion part of it. I would say at least the initial conversion. So that's the initial piece. Yeah. But, but there was a time when, I mean, I, have you ever, I guess I should ask, have you ever since then hmm. kind of take, um, needed a course correction? Was there a time like college or later high school where you're kind of like, I'm a, not really sure about this whole faith thing or? No, I was pretty well convinced. I've said this before, but I won't, I, I remember when I first went through my conversion, I, I was thinking like, well, why doesn't everybody do this? This is just so easy because like <laughs> all you really have to do is go to mass once a week, go to youth group and, and EPs and play ultimate Frisbee, which are the spiritual, you know, which are the corporate works of mercy as far as I was concerned at the time, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and, then, and that's it. It's just so easy. And I guess just don't like, I don't know, have sex with anybody before I'm married or anything like that. And I like, don't steal. I can do those things, you know? Um, it turns out that it's actually difficult, right? I learned that a little bit later. And so like, yeah, there were, there were I guess what I said before, there were, there were moments of conversion throughout my life, still, still are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was never like, never mind, I'm done with all this stuff, you know? Um, but like, yeah, did I, you know, at one point I had to say to myself, all right, well, I still have to go to mass when I'm on vacation. Like I know it's inconvenient for me and maybe a little awkward with my family because they're not really all that religious, but you know, I, I can't only go to mass, you know, 50 times a year. It has to be every time that there's a Sunday or a holiday of obligation or, you know, um, I know that I like going out and drinking and stuff and I can still go out and drink, but I, I, you know, it's not right that I am confessing twice, you know, twice a month that I, or, or four times a month right before mass that I drank too much on Saturday. Right. Like I need to, I, I can't just take parts of the faith or, or, you know, I, it's, it's great that I think the death penalty is a good thing politically, but that's actually not the question. The question is, do I love Christ more than the death penalty, right? And so mm. um, there have been moments of conversion in my life. But no, once I was turned on the way, I was turned on the way, I would say. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. That's good to hear. Because I think it, probably some, peop- some people, maybe not everybody, I don't think I really had a straying time. But, but one thing that you had the advantage of mm. um, that perhaps a lot of people don't is that you had never really you know, in the eighth grade, you'd never really um, been steeped in the world. You know, you never, hopefully at that point, you'd never fallen into serious sin other than missing mass, but yeah, that's not your fault, you know? Right. And, you know so I'm, you were kind of like a blank slate instead of like someone yeah. who came with like the hangups of, oh, I've already got this addiction to pornography or, right. you know, I've already disagreed with this church teaching coming into it already. And Yeah, you're right. You know, for one thing, I was actually very young for my grade. I mean, I was, um, like I graduated high school at 17, right? So I was a very, so I was, I was young for an eighth grader. So I really hadn't gotten very far in the whole like puberty process or anything like that even. Um, yeah, so you're right. I, 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 I didn't have much to turn away from. It was more just taking the faith seriously. But I think, I think one of the reasons why people don't take the faith more seriously is because of the cost. Yeah. You know, once you've tasted the pleasures of the world, it's hard to give that up. Yeah. And I see that more and more. And I think, I think most people don't have intellectual obligate, uh, objections to the faith as much as they just have just the weakness of the flesh. I think that's right. Although, you know, I do like um, a lot of the kids in my CCD classes whether or not they are their primary reasons for not wanting to follow Christ, they do have intellectual objections. And I, I think one thing I'm, I'm very, I'm very blessed with is that, you know, our, our Lord has given me really a sphere of docility toward the faith. So my, my, I, I never really, I've never really approached the questions of the faith since this time as, um, well, I don't know about all that. Or what do I think? Then I'll see if the church agrees with it. It was always more like, 
oh, that's interesting that that's what Father Joe or Deacon Joe says the church teaches. I'd like to learn more about that and why, right? So mm. I've always, I, 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 and this is not from me. I mean, you know, and there are, that doesn't mean that there are not things I struggle with or, or have questions about, but um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've always been found docilely in, in terms of the actual faith of the church easy. Maybe not in terms of like actual obedience to people, right? <laughs> but, um, that's not always easy. But in terms of the doctrine, yeah, I always approach it more as like, I wouldn't, if my biology teacher tells me a, bio, a biological fact, I wouldn't say, well, that doesn't map onto my pre-existing opinions on biology. I would say, oh, wow, he's teaching me the truth. <laughs> so I, must, I have to conform my opinions to it. I always approach the faith the same way, which, I, which is, again, doesn't come from me. I'm something I, I thank God for because a lot of people have a very difficult time with it. They do. And I think part of that, you know, goes back to the fact that in our culture, we don't have much respect respect for authority. Yeah. You know, and I mean, certainly in the church, I mean, we've had a lot of authority failures over the last 20 years yeah. since the priesthood scandals and in our nation and at large, I mean, really since the sixties, it's, you know, that was that whole thing. Never don't trust anyone over 30. Well, if you know, frankly, yeah. I didn't know about those scandals at the time. And I remember specifically looking back when my mom told my dad, I had to go on a confirmation retreat. I remember specifically him saying, well, he's not going to be alone with any priests, is he? And I was thinking, what, what is this guy talking about? I had no clue what he was talking about until much later. So that's mm. another thing. I was very lucky in that. I, was, I was really was naive about a lot of things. And I had no clue that there was a reason not to trust members of the clergy. Yeah. You know, you were wearing a collar. That was good enough for me. And, and you weren't like, you know, a sort of like stuffy old person who was just like yelling at me, right? Like, you know, you, you, I, you clearly believed the stuff you were telling us about. You showed us those like sort of corny rap, Christian rap videos, <laughs> crap like that. You know? Lecrae is Lecrae. <laughs> yeah, um, Sorry, let's see. He might be. I don't 2018. Know. I don't yeah, know. you're really dating yourself now. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I enjoyed our class very much and I enjoyed getting to know you better. And you took an interest in me after that class. And that's something that like I'm grateful for because as now a CCD teacher, there are lots of kids who I really wish that I could like have a deeper relationship with and try to like mentor. But I don't, I, I feel awkward about like, okay, here I am, this 23 year old. And it's like, how do I, how do I, how do I mentor an eighth grader without it being like a weird, because our society doesn't really have room for these sort of like non-familiar relationships, right? Yeah. So, but, but you weren't stopped by that. And and so, you know, you and my family and I would go hiking and stuff like that and we youth group and stuff like that. And, and um, yeah, you weren't afraid to kind of be vulnerable and to put yourself out there with somebody who, you know, really needed it. So, but you know, it's interesting. You look back over history and um, there's been a lot of times that a mentor relationship caused a conversion. And the one I'm thinking of is, um, I can't remember his name. I'd have to Google it. But um, Pope John Paul II was more or less, you know, his faith was deepened and personalized because of a mentor. Hmm. There was, and he was a, a layman who wasn't married, yeah. who he would have these um, these spiritual discussions with young adults, and uh, and they would just gather him in his apartment in Poland. Yeah. <laughs> and it was because of that 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 Karol Wojtyla at the time took started taking his faith a lot more seriously. So I think that mentoring relationship is huge in in conversion. In fact, Thomas Aquinas said that. The best way to convert someone is take them by the hand and lead them to the truth. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, before we turn the mics on, you and I were talking about um, how sometimes uh, sort of the, the need to like bureaucratize and manage the church's like evangelical mission gets in the way of that, that evangelical mission, right? And so like, yeah, you know, I wasn't converted by a five-step program <laughs> or by a video series or by something that came out of the bishop's office, right? Like I was converted by you, right? By the Holy Spirit working through you and by a relationship with you and with people around you. Right. And like, I don't think like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of and grateful for the work of people like Father Mike Schmitz and Bishop Robert Barron and all these people. And I, I the videos are great. And I recommend them to my kids. But ultimately, like those videos alone aren't what bring people to Christ because it's relationships that do. It's it's that I trusted you and you took interest in me. I was I was talking to um, a priest in the diocese. And, was, and I, was, I, was, I was talking about how, not just you, but there have been a lot of people in my life, like um, a man by the name of Brother Sean Salmon, former vicar general of um, 
a superior general of the Maris brothers, and he's in Maris College where I went to school, and he and I have this great friendship, and he's 75, and he and the priest said to me, you know, we we tend to value the relationship with older people the most because we know that they don't gain anything by our friendship. Hmm. Like, there's nothing transactional about a relationship that, between a 23-year-old and a 75-year-old. Like, I, he gains nothing by my friendship, which means I know that he cares about me as a friend. You gain nothing by by taking me under your wing when I was in eighth grade. But I had nothing to give. No, I would, which, which which meant that I, I knew that I, I knew that it was that it was about me that you cared about me as a person and not me as like a mark or like me as a as a as a tally on the conversion board. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, but I mean I will say there's there's two things that I gain from the mentoring relationships that that I've been, been very blessed to form. One is, and, and it's not a tally, but but you do as a priest want to see some fruitfulness in of your course, ministry. Yeah. And and when I look back over the ten years of almost ten years of being a priest, I think. Um, you know, I, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that I've lost touch with, a lot of people that I've you know mentored and they've left yeah. the faith and not been interested. But then there are a few that I'm like, wow, you know, I can see real fruit from that, mm-hmm. and that is a sense of a sense of accomplishment. You know, yeah. and I think I think God wants us to experience that. And that came to me in prayer the other day because I was I was praying the joy, the glorious mysteries of the rosary, and thinking about the resurrection. You know, and Christ went through such an agony and suffering so much. He probably wants to have that same experience of seeing fruit from right. his suffering. And yeah. and I was just praying. I was like, Lord, make me the fruit. Like, I want to I want to give you happiness, Lord, hmm. by what you're doing in me. And by what, you know, just, I want you to look down and be like, yeah, my sacrifice wasn't wasted because of that person and that person. Right. And, and um, I think it was uh, to St. Teresa of Avila, I believe, that Jesus said, you know, if I, I would create the entire world again just to hear you say, I love me. Hmm. I love you. So I mean that's how that's how much he wants to see that fruit. So that's one thing. But the other thing that I do get from the mentoring relationships is honestly it's inspiration. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been very inspired by you know, your story and the story of so many of, uh, other young people who are living their faith amidst difficult circumstances and the depths of prayer. And and um, you know particularly, I mean I think um, just you know just this past Sunday I was over at a family's house for Mother's Day and. Um, so now, now you know when we're recording this episode. <laughs> yeah. But we're having this. I was having this conversation with their 15 year old son, and um, and he's a p- very, very advanced in the spiritual life. And mm-hmm. we're talking about holiness, and he was asking about, you know, you know, he wanted, to, he wants to be this great saint, and he was ta- talking about like, you know, I have to embrace the suffering and everything. And I walked away from that conversation thinking, man, I got to start getting more serious about my own holiness because yeah. here I am being trumped by this 15 year old. <laughs> like I gotta, I gotta take this more seriously myself. And so. I I do get a lot out of it, without a doubt. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And of course, I was talking about like um, there can be a kind of friendship among peers where it's like I'm friends with him because I like the friend group he hangs out with, and I want to be invited to things, whatever. Which is obviously you weren't getting from me when I was in eighth grade, right? Um, <laughs> you're right that no, we get a lot out. Like I mean, like I said, I I've only been able to do this in a limited way so far, but there've been a couple kids in my CCD classes some who I was like, yeah, like this kid is, is into it. Like they're, they're, they're getting it. The spirit's moving in them. Some who sort of kept me catch my surprise, but who I can see the fruits of it in. And that is inspiring. And it's good to see because it can be very, I mean, you must experience it in such, such a more pronounced way than I have, but it's like you, you pour all your like efforts and energies into this and then you just blank stares. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yes. and, 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 um, but to see somebody really like helped, I mean, it means so much to me. You're right. Like, it means so much to me. Um, but it goes to show you, too, that, like, you don't, like, God's just funny, right? Like, like you have a weird story that, that you never would have predicted when you were my age that you would have been at St. Mary's in Bethel. 
Right. Oh yeah. And, no, no way. And, and and when you first like when I first walked into your class, nobody on earth would have expected like yeah that kid's gonna be recording a podcast with the deacon someday and teaching his own CCD classes and all the other things right like. God just has a God just has a sense of humor. There's no other way to look at it, right? I mean, like you know, it's a mysterious plan. Yeah, and right. that and that gets into the mystery of why do some people respond to grace and other people don't. This you know, is the hardest thing for me, and you and I've talked about this because um, you told me last time we spoke that God gives each everybody enough grace in their life to be saved. Yeah, that's so, church teaching. Yeah, yeah so I so I, I have faith in that. And I and I know that there are ways in which let's just take the, my CCD class as an example. Like there are ways in which some of these kids have not come to conversion simply because I failed in one way or another as a teacher because I wasn't engaging enough or because I wasn't personable enough because I didn't show them how much I cared about them, how much God cared about them, or whatever it was, because I couldn't answer a question properly or whatever it was that I didn't do properly. There's there's always some of that. But there's also an extent to which like I really did do my best. And like right. and, and like frankly, if I've got, let's say, forty kids and I'm doing my best, and like I can see a change in like six of them. Like it can be very frustrating and it can be tempting to think like, God, I'm doing my best for you. Like, like where's, where's the fruit, right? And, and it makes me think like, yeah, why, why do some kids respond? Why did I respond to your class and so many others didn't? I mean, um, one kid, I won't say his name, but you know exactly who I'm talking about, I think. Do you remember at the end of class, the very last class CCD, you gave us all these like letters about something. You're like, if you want to grow in your spiritual life, stay an extra minute. I'm going to give you this like letter or whatever it was. And one kid didn't stay. Oh, yes, I do remember yeah. that. <laughs> he was at the, our confirmations last Wednesday. He must, it was something that must have been confirmed. I was watching him take, take, be in a picture, and I was just thinking to myself, wow, we were the exact same CCD teacher. I went to the same parish. We're from the same town with the same high school. He is one of the most militant atheists I know who isn't like a professional atheist. Wow, really? This was in high school. Really? And here I am recording this podcast with you. What, like, what was different about my experience in that class than his? You know what I mean? What I do think, you think? I think one factor, and particularly with this kid, but I think in, in general as well, is our woundedness, mm. you know, and this this kid had suffered some some painful wounds in his life, and and for that reason he couldn't reconcile that with a loving God, you know, and, and I think some people some people maybe have the wrong expectation of God. They expect God to make the world right. perfect for them. I can understand that. What I can't understand is ambivalence. Mm. Like, okay, so a kid a kid um, his parents one of his parents died when he was young or his parents are getting divorced, or he has all kinds of chronic health problems, and he doesn't, he can't reconcile that with a loving God. I can totally get that. What I don't get is when I'm like, God came to earth as man and died for you, and then it represents himself to you every Sunday in the Eucharist, and you're like, are we, is it, is it almost time to leave class yet? Like, I don't, that, I, that, that's what I really don't get. It's like, I don't know how to make this sound more important or crazy to you. Like, this is, this is great. This is so important. And this is amazing. Like, it why, is, don't you, yeah. why don't you care? You know what I mean? That's what I don't, that's what I have a hard time with. You know what it is? Because I think it's a uniquely um, Western modern phenomenon because we don't have any felt needs. Mm. If your life is going perfect, you're happy just in general, you know, you're doing great in football. You're, you know, have enough food on your table and your family's generally happy you don't feel like you need anything else to make you happy and so why would god be important in that in that you know god's really supposed to be our happiness but if you're already happy without him what does god add that's a good point and you know the other thing is like why do you why would you need god's mercy if you don't think anything's really wrong well that's I mean, true too I and mean, we all have sort of like become converted to what i call like the like not hitlerism <laughs> like well i'm not hitler and yes. so like therefore I'm basically a good person. Like I haven't yet stabbed somebody today or like cheated on my wife. <laughs> right. So, so right. like I'm, I'm basically batting a 900. It's like, well, no, actually like C.S. Lewis has this line that, um, 
the closer, you, the better you become, the, the more you realize you're, you're, you're not so good at all. It's obviously not how he puts it, but it's like the, 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 the more you become, the more you realize you have so much further to go. Sure. Like somebody who's totally rejected the moral life entirely has no idea of how bad they are because there's nothing to measure it against. Right. I think a lot of, a lot of kids, especially it's like, well, I don't do anything that wrong. I mean, like I go to, a, I'm a nice middle-class person, nice middle-class town and I go to school and I try my best and I'm nice to my friends. I don't beat people up and I don't see, see if my parents or lie or blah, 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 blah. So what? So if I, so I cuss or I look at pornography or I, you know, skip, skip mass. mass or, you know, don't pray. It's like, well, what does it matter? I'm, I'm basically good. It's like, you're not basically good. Like you're basically terrible. We're all basically terrible. Like you need to like, we need to go back to Calvinism. You are in need we of God's mercy. Heaps. That's right. No, but sorry, like, you are in need of God's mercy. Like don't think you're not right. right like, I'm in need of God's mercy. Don't think I'm not. You know Cause I mean? if you don't know you're a sinner, you don't need a savior. Right, 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 right. And, and Jesus came to save us from sin. Like, what's the whole point of Jesus' mission? And I get sin, it. Really. I get it. It's I mean, like, it's like, well, I'm, I'm praying. I don't hear anything back. Like, I get that. I really, really do. I really get that. That's not the point. That's not the point. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it, God doesn't stop loving you because you can't hear him like like a movie, right? Like, you know, I mean, he still loves you because he loves you. Like, it's a theological truth. Like, he just, he loves you. I mean, God doesn't sound like Morgan Freeman. He must. He right? better. He Otherwise, must. I want my money back. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's another big one is, that, is you know, we live in a, a world that's very um, scientistic. Mm. And I say that very specifically, not scientific. Right. Because science is great and science is very complementary to faith. But scientism is that the only thing that really exists is the material world and things we can measure. Right. So if so how can I believe in a God that I can't measure or see or taste or touch? Right. And so because we've lost the idea that philosophy and theology can also be sources of truth instead of just right. myths. And instead of just opinions and opinions, like so yes. much of it is, is, well, that's, that's what you believe. That's nice. Like I remember one time I was, I was a very fun person in high school as you're about to learn because I remember one time I was, I was in high <laughs> he school. Was, he was, I it was, a, back it then. was a Friday in Lent and one of my friends who I knew to be Catholic sat down to lunch table with meat on his, on his platter. I made some joke about him being like a heathen or something like that. And I must've talked about religion one too many times for this connection. And he finally turns, he goes, Joe, not everyone is Catholic. And I was like, no, but. Sean is Catholic <laughs> and it's like it's not I think Bethel was like 70% Catholic anyway yeah it might have been 71 by the time I left high school but um but like it's not these things that's a trivial example to some extent but it's like it's not oh this is my opinion this is what your opinion is it's like no this is my claim about truth right right so it's not like I often I often um I'm afraid that a lot of the times kids will go home from my class after we've heard something difficult like the teaching of sexuality for example or in marriage and ask their parents the parents will say well, that's just I mean yeah right that's what they have to tell you don't you know yeah like I remember one time I was in high school another high school story and I was on this, this field trip we were in front of a church where it's talking and one kid goes as he mentioned he was Catholic he goes, oh, I don't know you're Catholic and he goes yeah I'm Catholic very Catholic yeah I mean you know don't tell me what to believe though <laughs> and I and one of my friends if someone else you know um Look at each other. He looked back, and the friend goes, "Isn't that uh, is that the whole point?" <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah, like it's not. The church has a truth claim. It has the authority. On the it. word religion comes from religare, which means to bind again. So right. like like lig like a ligament, binding. You know, so so you're binding oh, yourself to these truths, right? That you're, which you're you're freely adhering to. And if you want to believe something different, be Anglican. Right. Yeah. Or be you know be find a, find a church that fits that fits your beliefs rather than be Catholic and disbelieve half the stuff you know so we've actually totally run out of time yeah <laughs> we had so much more planned more next week but that's all right more next week stay tuned thanks so much for joining us on this episode of restless i think we make a good team here yeah forget the rest of them Honestly, <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly. Sorry, exactly. We, hope you, we hope you've enjoyed it <laughs> yeah. you can find us on veritas catholic network th network 1350 am and also 103.5 fm Ta -da. tune in next time <laughs>